there are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm. That's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. And this is Love to See It, an obsessively detailed recap podcast about The Bachelor and other pop culture that makes us laugh, cry, and curse the patriarchy. We can't live with these shows and we can't live without them, but we can break down every juicy moment and unpack all the weird messages these shows send us about love, sex, and dating. Welcome to Love to See It and to a very difficult and complicated episode of The Bachelorette that I would say has left us like completely shattered. Honestly, we tried to make a joke here and we literally couldn't. Yeah, we're both like in a real state. Uh, Last night was rough. This morning is rough. Uh, we're going to be completely honest. We recorded our recap yesterday initially before the show aired, and it was really like difficult to to do to our satisfaction. You know, we had a lot of difficulty kind of articulating our really complicated thoughts about that final segment with Greg and especially after seeing the conversation that unfolded around it online, we felt that there was space for us to have an even more nuanced conversation about this really fraught episode. And we really wanted to make sure that we were doing right by everyone um, and ourselves in this recording. And so ultimately, we did end up retaping the latter part of this episode, which focuses on Greg. Yeah. And, you know, this was a very divisive episode. I know we're not going to satisfy everyone with our take, but um, we are really honestly doing everything in our power to to, you know, take into account everything and to be as thoughtful and 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 empathetic as possible. Um, So we're going to kick things off with the recap of the first half of the episode with Blake and Justin featuring our wonderful guest, friend and journalist, Laura Bassett. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm so thrilled to be here. I just stopped crying about five minutes ago, so uh, ready to dig in. I don't want to talk about Blake right now, but that's what we're starting with. Blake is up first. And Katie 
meets Blake on a long, dusty road, as like basically every one-on-one date starts this season. But this time, we're pretending that they are in Canada. She wore a red jacket. There is a Chiron that says New Mexico, Canada, that emerges from behind a mountain, which bothers me. I actually appreciated that. I think it should be Canada, New Mexico. Right? It's like Canada inside New Mexico. Yeah, that's actually true. Wow. Just a little point. But I appreciated the cheekiness of the Chiron. Have a little bit more fun, Bachelorette producers and editors. That's what we like to see. Yeah. Oh, Canada is playing. Blake brings her into, like, one of the empty resort bars. There's, like, red maple leaf flag decor. There's stuffed moose heads. I mean, we've seen this date before, and... The problem is it just all bleeds together, right? I'm like, we've had enough of these seasons now where they're doing the hometowns on the resort and they're like pretending that they're in Canada because there's always like one Canadian contestant. I'm like, which one even was it? Was it one of Tasha's guys or was it one of Matt's? I honestly, we've definitely had this Serena, Serena, Serena. Blake is like, I used to bartend. I used maple syrup in everything. I have it in the pantry. I I have it in the fridge because you need, I guess, your room temp and your chilled maple syrup. And also in his bedside table. I want to note that this is our first hint that Katie is not prepared for Hometowns Week. She's like maybe sleep deprived, you think, possibly. Because she just sort of smiles blankly at him for like two full seconds before she goes, wait, what? In your bedside table. (laughs) I think Katie is exhausted. That's all I could think about during this entire episode. I'm like, all of the drama could have been avoided if she just got a good night's sleep. Can we just unpack the maple syrup uh, next to the bed comment? Like, was that intended to imply that he jerks off with maple syrup? Yeah, yeah. Or or use it, or not jerks off, but like uses it as some sort of... Uh, a lubricant or which or like a sexy like you know my assumption guys drizzle it and lick it off it's not lubricating I would assume it's a drizzle it and lick it off situation it's like wax play you know it's not gonna make anything (laughs) more slippery but that doesn't mean you can't have fun you know I mean it definitely would not work as lubricant (laughs) but I couldn't tell if that's what he was trying to imply also I just want to say as someone who did live in Canada for a period of her life, um, in which I was sexually active, this is not a thing that all of Canadians do. Of course it's not a thing. Like, <laughs> the thing, like, Blake is either, like, counting on people knowing a lot about Canada, like, enough to know this is a joke, or very or little about Canada. Nothing. Enough to be like, oh. And I think that he's making that play with Katie, who I guess is the latter. She's like, really? You use maple syrup? in the bedroom all the time. And he's like, oh yeah, definitely. This whole date is Blake leaning into the two things about his brand that differentiate him. One, he's Canadian. Two, he is like incredibly sexual and like needs to get it all the time. Yeah, I was I was really excited when they started playing the dart balloon game because it was like, there's little things inside with questions. And I'm like, okay, I, I want to see <laughs> like a deeper side of Blake. I, I want to see them really like dig in and get to know each other. And then boom, the balloon pops. And it's like, what's your favorite body part? It was- oh, yeah. He, it's like, let's get to know each other by like having foreplay. I learned nothing about Blake. I just want to warn our listeners, and our producer Harry dropped this in, and I think he's right. We need to warn everyone. Uh, don't put 
maple syrup or any sugar-based product into your vagina or meaningfully near it, it can be problematic for the health of that region, which should be your number one priority when deciding what to do in the bedroom. Um, So... (laughs) We learn. We all very have to little. pause here to remove the maple syrup that we have purchased <laughs> for our bedside tables. Thank you, Harry, from saving us for a very from a very rough week. I was drawing up a business plan for maple syrup based lube, and like it's all come to nothing. I have to go put uh, mine back in the pantry. I was not aware that this was a problem. <laughs> Laura's having fun already. So then uh, he asks her if she would move to Canada, and she says, always a possibility. I want to keep track of this because Katie does tell the guys slightly different things about the future, and always a possibility is not a yes. And this is when they ride a bull, a mechanical bull that is in moose drag. It looked like a reindeer. It was terrifying. (laughs) Also, like, I'm confused by the joke that there are no horses in Canada. I was like, have you ever seen a Mountie? That's right. their whole thing, okay? It's, it's one of the most well-known Canadian things outside of maple leaves and maple syrup are the Mounties. <laughs> yeah. So they get, you know, thrown from the mechanical moose. They make out amidst the padding around the moose. This is also a theme of the episode is Katie making out with a guy on some protective padding around the device they've been riding on. (laughs) How often can that show up? Multiple times in this episode. Um, And then they put on Canadian hockey jerseys. Uh, Hers says honeybee on the back and his says honey bear. That's cute. It was cute. They're Mm -hmm. laughing. They're having fun. Blake slashes her, takes a penalty. He's got a penalty box set up to make out with her in. And this is when we cut to Greg. Greg is on his balcony, brooding, gazing out at the resort. You can hear Katie and Blake laughing in the background. And Greg says that he saw them, like, by accident. He just happened to see them on the street. Greg, I'm going to let you know that this was not an accident. Uh, This was intentional (laughs) on the part of production. (laughs) I think he's trying to say that he didn't try to see them. But, like, no, (laughs) it's definitely not an accident. It's just a real cruelty that in this setting, that at this point in, like, the journey, that they have to continue to live with the other people who are dating their person. And can, like, literally hear and see their hometown dates. This is not a thing that, you know, normally happens when they aren't stuck on a resort the entire time. The way that I I feel like production fucked Katie and Greg in this episode, I can't even. But, like, this is huge. Greg is, they know Greg is fragile. Everyone knows it. Katie keeps being like, I think you're going to leave, and if you do, I don't want to continue. And they're like, what if we staged a fun outdoor hockey makeout date right outside Greg's window? Like, what a great idea. What could possibly go wrong? Horrifying. And he's like, I'm sick to my stomach. Like, I felt really good about me and Katie, but like seeing her with Blake, she looks really happy and it scared me. And I think, yeah, it's really difficult to get through this stage without kind of blacking out what the lead might be like with the other people like it's just you can't think about it you can't see it you have to like sort of imagine that they're not there anymore you have to be able to focus on just your relationship at this point and the lead has to essentially do the same thing like sort of you know really compartmentalize compartmentalize all of their relationships and we're sort of seeing the cracks in that 
um, in this episode. Oh, I'm so sad. Okay. I know. So uh, it's time to get ready for this, the night date with his family. And Katie's like, I'm nervous. You know, she she knows that he's not in love with her yet. She knows he's really close to his family and she wants their approval. And Blake is like, don't worry. You don't have to be great. You just have to be you, which I'm sure wasn't intended as an egg, <laughs> but I'm enjoying how it came out. <laughs> you should be the perfect loser that you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love you when you're not great. So I'm sure my family will love you as a not great person as well. Blake's family, though, is pretty much as on board as Blake is from the beginning. Uh, you can see how he came out of this family as a guy who would yeah. go on for three different bachelorettes. I really enjoyed his family. I thought that they were pretty lovely and very supportive of him and very good with Katie. I also thought that his, like, mom uh, was wearing an excellent outfit, which perhaps is neither here nor there, but, like, her whole vibe, I was just very into it. Like the leather pants mm. and a nice loose, but like well-tailored, what crisp white shirt, a high pony. It was a The most important thing about Blake's mom, though, is that for the entirety of this date, I could not concentrate because I was Googling <laughs> middle-aged character actress character actress mom like I couldn't play I was like she looks exactly like someone but I cannot figure out even how to figure out who the person is I was like it's an actress but like what's she been in I can't remember and then Emma came through she looks like Kathy and Jimmy it's just like she looks exactly like from her. Hocus Pocus, Laura. You look confused. <laughs> Laura is so I'm, confused. A, I'm about to Google right now. Kathy. <laughs> She's in Hocus Pocus. And Jimmy. Oh. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh, she does. Right? Okay. I was like, exactly is like her. That is Blake's mom, Kathy and Jimmy. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> that would be great. She and her sis and uh Blake's sister are also people who understand the show and show craft and strategy, and they want to make sure that Blake is making the right decisions. Like, both Blake's mom and Blake's sister sit down and are like, how do you feel about her? You seem really sure. If so, like, have you told her that you love her? Why not? You're running Get out of time. Get in there, tiger. They're like, come on. We know how this works. They're all like, we know how this show goes. Like, you need to do what needs to be done in order to position yourself as as favorably as possible. And they're worried that Blake's not doing that. We also get the first look at Katie's hometown date approach during this date. It's the first one we see. Katie is like in job interview mode. And like in some ways, I think it really works because she's prepared. She has some scripts that she thinks will go over well. But it's it's kind of funny to watch at points. Like, Blake's mom sits her down and is like, Blake is so smitten with you. He loves hard. Like, I'm worried that he'll get, you know, hurt. Where are you at? Like, where do you feel? And Katie's basically like, yeah, great question. So, uh, you know, I have like five years of experience with QuickBooks. And Blake and I have not said we love each other. But we feel there's like a real growth opportunity there. And we'd <laughs> like to get in there and just like pursue that. And the vibe is just very corporate professional in a way. Because she's Oh, yeah. Like, she's very much like, your son is still in contention for this job. We're really going <laughs> through the rounds, so I can't make any commitments yet. But he's definitely in the mix. 
My favorite part of that date was Blake's uh, sister sitting him down and she's like, are you um, in love with her? And he's like, oh, yes. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. And she's like, cool. <laughs> you said that Claire was the one. Then you said Tasha was the one. Uh, so how is this any different? And he just kind yeah. of like stares at her blankly for a minute like that is a good point, sister. <laughs> <laughs> he tries to convince her that, that this one's different, but I was not particularly convinced. I really like that his family is not afraid to drag him just like a little bit <laughs> yeah. in a loving way. Yeah, like they want it to work out for him, but also they're like, you know, there will be another one. You know, like you say she's the one, but like we all know that doesn't really mean anything, sweetie. Like, <laughs> you know, like it would be nice if one of these people that you're into reciprocated at some point. <laughs> but like, we're not concerned that it's like your last opportunity to find love. It'll probably be like another month and a half before we meet another one. <laughs> It is interesting also because in this family dynamic, you can kind of see where Blake's sort of confident attitude comes from, and and it's really serving him on this season. And his mom and sister kind of have that too. Like, they're to the point. They know how this works. They're willing to play ball with it. Like, his his mom even does the thing where she's like, yeah, I am afraid, of course, for my son and his heart and, like, being hurt. But she also upfront says, yeah, I know there are other guys here. I get that. He gets that. That's just what it is. It's like there is um, a sort of accepting of the structure in a way that I think for understandable reasons, like Greg has and his family have a much harder time grappling with. Um, and I think ultimately, like, that is going to yeah. pay off for Blake. Their approach is very practical. I mean, Blake's mom essentially says, like, what are you waiting for? about saying I love you. Like, you feel really good. Your feelings keep getting stronger. Like, you kind of just got to man the fuck up and say it so that, like, you are going to be able to continue on this journey that you want to continue on with her. Like, you need to do what needs to be done. And that is that is absolutely Blake's approach, except for in the sense that he hasn't said I love you yet. But he's very much like a keep your head down, like, make the moves, go get extra time and make out with her when she's sad. Like... Don't ask for things from her that are going to make her life more stressful. And his family has a very similar approach. But he's really resisting on the saying I love you thing. He's saying like, oh, you know, I feel it. The word is going to be said. <laughs> but it needs to come naturally. Like, he's like, the word is out there. It'll be said. I, what will it be attached to? I don't know. It will just like come through my mouth when the time is right. He says, when I know, I know, and this is the most I've known. Which I always kind of thought that the the saying, when you know, you know, meant that it was sort of binary. <laughs> like, you know. You know. There's not like levels of knowing. But I guess this is Bachelor World. So he's ascribing when you know, you know, the same sort of progression as being in love. Yeah. Like you're falling, then you're falling in yeah. love. It's You're getting to know, you know. Exactly. He's at 70% knowledge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very precise. <laughs> so he tries to hype himself up before Katie leaves and they have their final talk. He's like, I'm going to I'm gonna do it. I'm going to do it. But instead, they make out and he just says, I feel so good about you. And then they say goodbye. I feel like I'm trying desperately to like get on board with this relationship. And I'm sort of like, what am I missing? Yeah. Because, I, I, yeah, I do want Katie to have good options and she's had a lot of good guys on this season and 
yeah, this feels like very early season date to in in a lot of ways. The, the and and I think we see this a little bit on Justin's date too. Justin's date starts with a bit of a disappointment. We we come in on him on the phone with his parents saying, you know, I'm disappointed that you're not here to meet Katie. And what we sort of glean from this conversation is that his parents aren't coming. It's not clear whether they couldn't or wouldn't, but it seems more like wouldn't. His mom says, you know, I don't understand how you can be ready to get engaged after such a short amount of time when there are so many factors, getting to know each other's families, et cetera. And Justin's like, yeah, and you guys aren't here. So, like, how are we supposed to do that? What am I supposed to do? I felt really sad for Justin in this moment. Like, it's just, it's tough also when, you know, he can't be, like, having in-depth conversations with his parents off camera to sort of allay any fears they might be having. That's tough. And, like, I assume it was a combination here of just them being like, we don't want to be on TV. We don't want to be put through this. And also, it's COVID. Are we going to fly, like, across the country for this thing that we don't find to be particularly worth the risk? He rebounds from this. Uh, He's brought his two best friends instead. And he seems to be, like, pretty pissed at his parents because he keeps making little comments that are like, you know, my friends know things about me that my parents definitely don't. <laughs> Which, like, sure, all friends know things about you that your parents don't. It's a different kind of relationship. But it's, he's really just like, take that, mom and dad. <laughs> like, I don't need you. <laughs> you don't even know me as well as my best friends. But they're going to be experiencing Baltimore, New Mexico, during this date. Uh, they greet each other on a long, dusty road, and he welcomes her to Baltimore. He has accomplished this relocation through space and time with a he, what he calls the iconic Welcome to Baltimore mural. I am not familiar, and I couldn't find it on Google, but I guess this is something that exists in Baltimore. It exists in lots of places, but, um, you know, there's a mural that says, Welcome to Baltimore. They take selfies in front of it, and then they take just a never-ending horse and carriage ride through the southwestern landscape as he sort of gestures at the, you know, at the He's like, the inner harbor is right here. The the graffiti (laughs) wall killed me. It was so, it looked so small. It was like a, it was like a seven foot long graffiti wall. And he's like, this is the famous Baltimore graffiti street art, you know? And she's like, wow. And it's just like someone spray painted like a board. It was the funniest thing. There's just, there's just something about the vastness of desert landscape that like, there's so many other settings where it would have looked less ridiculous to be like this one wall represents Baltimore's <laughs> iconic graffiti alley. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's a taste of Baltimore's graffiti alley. But it's surrounded by just endless, <laughs> endless, like, southwestern like, landscape. New Mexico just looks extremely <laughs> New Mexico. Yeah. There's just, like, no matter, like, everywhere you look, there's just sky, you know? there It doesn't feel at all like you're in Baltimore, I would say. <laughs> uh No. But I did, I did, you know, as a Maryland gal myself, I did love his little jokes about the Chesapeake Bay. Yeah. Uh, I was into it. The, cra- yeah. the crab metaphor was pretty good. Oh, oh boy. I mean, I was like, that is real. You know what? That The crab feast felt far more authentic to Maryland yeah. than the lack of horses felt to 
Western Canada, frankly. <laughs> um, but again, I I felt like as much as I enjoyed their energy together, which is very, like, Justin is really fun and goofy. Katie it, enjoys being around him. It still feels like night one or date one level stuff. Like, he asks her, like, blue cheese or ranch? And she says, blue cheese. And he's like, what? <gasps> Me too. What's your, like, ring, what's your size? ring size? And I'm like, you literally are maybe going to propose very soon. Like, this isn't a joke anymore. Like, are do, are you learning anything about each other that might actually make you want to for real propose? I mean, they're literally talking about salad dressing. Yeah, you, you're establishing, like, food preferences and you're a week away from an engagement. And it's odd to see this final three because, like, it felt like she did have so much more depth with, you know, Michael and with Andrew. And those guys are gone. And we're just sort of, like, watching these, like, upbeat... It feels young. Their relationship feels immature. And also, like, it seems like he doesn't have much experience with serious relationships. Like, his friends later keep saying, like, we never see him like this around people. He always has a wall up. He can never let a woman get close. Um, they said they've never seen him be affectionate with a woman physically. <laughs> like, never seen him even hold a woman's hand. Yikes. Yeah, so I hope he w- hasn't been in a serious relationship around them. Um, a serious relationship with someone he refuses to hold the hand of. So uh, Justin does tell her, like, after the crab, that he uh, his parents couldn't make it. And so his best friends, Herb and Tommy, came instead. And Katie's like, oh, I get it. It's hard for families. And now I guess I just have to, like, be the kind of person who impresses your friends. Strategy change. Um, But in her in the moment, she's like, yeah, it does actually really make me wonder if we could get engaged. Yeah, she's basically like, he will not be in my final two. Like, that is what I gleaned from that moment. It felt sort of like Katie's. I I also think Katie kind of knew that Justin was the, the least strong relationship out of the three. And so... This is sort of like helping her formulate a reason to articulate why he's behind. Yeah, so uh, they meet up with his friends. His friends are very cute. They're very sweet, too. It seems to go pretty well. Like, the friends really seem to like her. And I also noted when Tommy asked her if, if Justin got down on one knee, like, picture it now, like, he's down on money in front of you. Would you say yes? And she says, I think I can get there, which is kind Ooh. of a way of saying no. Because later on, she does definitively tell Greg's family that like, yeah, I can see myself marrying him. Well, I mean, yeah. if you meet someone's friends for the first time and they're like just completely shocked at how that person is interacting with you and being like, whoa, usually he's so <laughs> close. Usually he can't open up at all. Usually he's not himself. Usually he's not affectionate. It's like, on the one hand, that's very flattering because you're like, wow, maybe I'm bringing out all this in this person. But I think it's really more of a red flag. Like, this mm. person is not ready. They have, you know, if if if, if they're performing this for this show and his friends are shocked to see him this way, maybe this is not actually who he is, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I, would be, yeah. I would be a little worried. Or maybe he's just young and, like, this relationship with Katie was an important stepping stone for him. But, like, this will likely not be the big relationship of his adult life. Um, And that just seems fine because he's 26. He's got time. He'll figure it out. He's got time. And he's very beautiful. He's very hot. Very hot. (laughs) He's very hot. He's very hot. And, like, those eyebrows can't be single forever. Come on. (laughs) Like, those eyebrows are going to find the right person. 
I think the fact that Katie mentioned multiple times uh, in during the Justin date that he's a great kisser pretty much guarantees that he will go very far in the Bachelor franchise if he is not chosen at the end. <laughs> the good kissers we hear from for like the rest of time. I mean, they make the rounds. And who has she said this about? Like Greg, she has said was the best kisser on the date with the drag queens. We've heard that um, Justin and Blake, obviously she loves his kissing. Yeah. I think this top three all has a strong future in Bachelor Nation. <laughs> um, so in their in their debrief at the end of the date, um, Justin is like, I'm always guarded, but I want to really express myself to you. And as much as I'm trying to fight it, yeah, kind of a red flag. As much as I'm trying to fight it, I'm falling in love with you. I don't want to hold back. And Katie smiles and then goes for the kiss. And Justin is thrilled. He's like, I did it. I told her what I needed to tell her. They say goodbye, sort of both feeling really good about things. However, I want to say that I think this was actually the last one-on-one date. I think I agree. that Greg's was before Justin's because we several times later hear Greg say yesterday about overseeing Blake's date and based on some of the outfits and and such and the in the moments i get the sense that they they moved these so that the blakes that the, the greg stuff would all be consolidated yeah i think for for audience purposes it's just easier to see one bleed right into the other but it also frankly if you're trying to understand how greg kind of got to where he did when he ultimately confronts katie which of course we'll talk about it does make more sense if you consider that he's had you know more than a day to kind of sit in his upset feelings and like stew on them without having access to Katie. And on that note, um, I want to cancel this podcast. I I don't want to talk about it anymore. So before we get into the most traumatizing part of this podcast, I think it's time for a quick break. Can you keep up? I like love it. Okay. So you got engaged. Congrats. Now you may be wondering what comes next. If you're planning a wedding, the first thing you need to know about is Zola. With Zola, you can plan your entire wedding in one convenient place. From the day you get engaged and search for the venue to the day you send out your save the dates, make your registry, and even taste your cake. Zola has literally everything you need to make the whole process super easy and actually even enjoyable. There's even a five-star app that helps you plan on the go or, you know, from your couch, which is certainly how, uh, if I was planning a wedding, I would definitely want to do it as loungily as possible. <laughs> so important. I also just know myself. I I know that planning any kind of event, like even a birthday party, can get very stressful. And so it's been really cool to see friends use Zola. It really seems to make everything a lot less stressful. And as a frequent wedding attender, I love to be able to hop on that Zola registry and just purchase a gift. Easy peasy. I know I've done it. I won't forget. Thank you, Zola. Yeah, everything's all in the same place. It's perfect. Start planning at Zola.com. That's Z-O-L-A.com. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Oh, I'm so happy the weather is finally turning. If you, like me, have been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune, then Quince is for you. 
You can build up a lineup of timeless pieces that will keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year. Like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings right on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, as well as premium fabrics and finishes. I love Quince for all these staples. I mean, linen is my favorite summer fabric. They have so many amazing linen staples. I also found my new go-to like summer running around to the playground in the coffee shop bag. It's the pebbled Italian leather front sling bag. I can just fit a wallet and my phone and my AirPods in it, maybe some lip balm. Absolutely perfect. I'm so obsessed with it. And the price was exactly what I wanted to. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash LTSI for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI. Anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while or even not that long knows that we love article. I mean, honestly, I'm looking around my home right now. Coffee tables from article. That lovely chair out on my deck. Article. Our big console. Article. I'm My bed frame. Article. This is an article household. It is. And it's, I mean, it was an inspiration to me. We finally got our first article piece of furniture recently, our new couch. And my husband and I are both constantly just like, how did we live before this couch? This is such an improvement over what we had before. It's so comfortable. It just seems to get more comfortable every day. I mean, it's the couch you dream of. And the reason that we have both been able to find ideal furniture on Article is because Article believes in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their online-only model, they have some really delightful prices, too. Their curated assortment of mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandi, and boho designs makes furniture shopping simple. And their team of designers are all about finding that perfect balance between style, quality, and price because we all want the best of all of those three things united in one piece of furniture, right? Plus, they're dedicated to thoughtful craftsmanship that stands the test of time and, you know, looks good doing it. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash LTSI and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash LTSI for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. So we're back and it's time to talk about Greg. I guess that we can can start with some of the lighter stuff, which is yeah. their hometown date, which for the first like 90% goes very well. Yeah. And like it really works on me. And what I in retrospect, what interests me almost is that I haven't been like a huge Greg Stan. Um, I do typically black out after every episode. I don't remember anything <laughs> I've said, but like I think I do remember saying repeatedly, including in the first episode, that he needs too much reassurance for this process. 
that yeah. when Katie told him that her father had passed away on their date, he didn't provide sufficient, like, response and comfort to that. Um, and so I haven't really been that on board with Greg. And so it's almost like this episode just, like, smacked me in the face with a shovel and I woke up with a concussion and I'm in love with Greg. Like, it was just, like, the selling of Greg in this hometown date was so hard and so effective and it makes me mad that they did that <laughs> for what's about to happen I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it definitely felt like a bit of whiplash. And I agree. I think we've we've both had mixed feelings about Greg. I think my biggest feeling about him is that he has seemed to me like an attainably hot person or he has mm-hmm. seemed perhaps more familiar in his sort of floppy-haired magnetism um in terms of like men that I had dated or or wanted to date in my 20s and that is probably part of the reason that um I feel to an extent drawn to his his more charming elements but yeah, yeah I don't think either of us have been Greg stands by any by any means but this date there there are a lot of and I think that we pointed this out in the during the Seattle date, like there are a lot of markers in terms of music cues, in terms of editing that really build their relationship up to be a rom-com, to be Mm -hmm. a very dramatic love story. And I also wonder, you know, in retrospect, whether that's part of why it felt so off and potentially triggering to people to then see the way things devolved. Like, it almost felt as though the setup was so romantic that -hmm. then it became harder to critique the downfall. Um, And I wonder if that's some of what people ended up responding to in a really negative way. And I think I am just, like, totally, totally susceptible as a reader of romance novels and watcher (laughs) of rom-coms and, like, just, like, fucking white, middle-class, like, Midwestern lady to, like... The, like, varsity jock from, like, your homeroom who the would never— The sweet one. The he's sweet actually one. sweet. He's actually <laughs> sweet. If you if you go to a party, like, he, he'll he be friendly. He's not going to, like, make fun of your jeans that are too short in the corner. I never actually went to any parties in high school, so these are just anxiety scenarios. <laughs> but, like, yeah, he has that. And I latched on to guys like that in high school for sure. I was like, oh, this guy's in my Spanish class, and he's, like, a star athlete— but he's not a dick. And that is so rare, like, that I have a crush on him now. And I have to, I have to concede that that's a big part of it. And also, it's just so rare to see a guy on this show seem to be, like, genuinely having feelings and expressing them and not just, like, doing show gamesmanship. This show really rewards people who can handle it and who can handle just doing show gamesmanship to the end and who can... Yeah, control themselves because they understand the terms of the game. And, like, there is something that can feel very romantic about someone who's just like, I can't be bound by that anymore. I'm just so full of emotion. It's real. It's not something that I'm strategizing for TV. And anyone who's listened to this show knows (laughs) that uh, man tears are just pure, pure catnip for me. Um, But it, it is this complicated thing because it's hard to suss out the way that emotions are deployed and what the intent behind them is. And I think that I 
like to watch The Bachelor and Bachelorette in large part because it does hit at that soft underbelly because it does allow for me to indulge in an overly simplistic romantic narrative and gain the narrative satisfaction that comes from a happy ending. Mm -hmm. And so when we see an interruption to that formula in, in a way that makes it really confusing to sort of categorize people, I find it like emotionally distressing. And I found this episode to be on the whole, like an extremely painful on every Mm -hmm. level. Like when I say that Claire and I have been texting about this and feeling extremely confused about how to express our feelings about it for literal days, like that's not an exaggeration. Yeah. Um, And I think that this episode really brought up a lot of feelings for people that were very polarizing in part because it had the ability to trigger a lot of different varying personal experiences. Um, But back to the date. I'm so sorry for that tangent. Uh, Basically, you know, they do a little tandem bike tour around Greg's beachy New Jersey town. After this, like, very cute montage, he's, He's like, look, you were able to share something with me on our first date uh, that you shared with your father. And I want to do the same for you. You know, it was very much like a callback. And I think that also lent to the romantic nature here. He's like, basketball was a really big part of my life. This isn't, I kind of stopped playing after my father passed away, but I want to share this activity with you. And so they decide to play horse or rather kiss because apparently five letters is too long before four is attainable four is attainable (laughs) yeah katie's really bad at the basketball but she appreciates very much i relate to that (laughs) sharing it with her yeah um greg has to do the standing behind her to direct her hands while shooting thing which is very rom-com i'm a sucker like it's true um and then they sit down and talk about hometowns and He says, you know, that his mom and his brother and his best friend will be there. Um, He says, I'm excited for them to see that I'm really happy. They're going to see it right away. And I haven't really been that way for a few years since my dad died. Um, This was something that, like, I probably was not skeptical enough initially. But because it's like who in a way I'm like, who doesn't want to hear that you're you can fix me. But also it puts a huge amount of pressure on Katie to, like, be enough to deal with something that should be dealt with in therapy and, like, coherently throughout his life. And looking back with kind of a more critical eye and seeing sort of the buildup of the basketball as a symbol, um, you know, we later hear that from his brother, from Greg's brother, that they had not even really processed their father's passing, the two of them. Like, they had not had that conversation. And you are just starting to feel like, wow, there's a lot of like emotional trauma here that probably cannot and and should not be processed in the context of a romantic relationship. Especially the context of a romantic relationship with a woman who has like a lot of other relationships on her plate. A lot of other boyfriends. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, he wraps this up by saying that, you know, last week I got to see some of your hometown The best part was the ending, the rain in Seattle. And he says, it always rains in Seattle, right? And she says, pretty freaking much. 
And he says, it rains in New Jersey, too. And he snaps his fingers, and it starts to rain on top of them. We get the romantic swell. Again, I was totally a sucker for this. It was really... It was really cute. There's so many shots of them during this date where they are like laughing and there's romantic music and they look genuinely happy. And it really, yeah, that, that is, that is certainly how it felt. Like there was just like a very great um, chemistry between the two of them. And I think we were like, how could it go wrong? It's perfect. (laughs) They seem to have at this point kind of the trifecta of, of, forms of connection. Like they have great physical chemistry. They love making out with each other. They're very passionate. They joke around. They have inside jokes. They also talk about emotions and deeper things and things that are going on in their lives, which we have seen almost none of with the other two finalists at a very late stage in the game. So it seems like he is just like super far ahead of these other guys and just the complexity and depth of their connection at this point. And they're just, like, laughing. He's tossing her in the air and, like, <laughs> making out with her. And, like, it's just, we, like... We get a little uh, throw up again, uh, like, throwing her up against, like, the chain link fence and, like, making out a little bit. I mean, just full-on yeah. rom-com imagery. And and, hometown uh, dates so rarely feel like rom-coms. Hometown dates feels often to me so mechanical. It's like... Like job interviews. Like, like job you will interviews. now interview my family. <laughs> they will interview you and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. And then like in between, we have this like checklist of like s- skills you're showing me or like projects you're showing. Like, it's just very like, we're going to go do this activity that that is evocative of my life. And then we're going to make out because we like each other. Um, this just, you know, despite how weird it is to be pretending that they're in New Jersey um, (laughs) and at the beach, like, it does feel, on a human level, very natural. I agree. So we move into the night portion um, where, you know, Greg is going to introduce Katie to his mother, his older brother, and his best friend. And it it goes really well like the in- initial intro greg is clearly so happy to to see his family members his mother is just we're two for two on adorably chic moms so yeah. well done to both of them great showing and yeah. she even brings along a video message from greg's two sisters and from all of his many tiny adorable nieces and nephews yeah and it's really sweet greg is like already weeping just at how much he misses his family i don't have a heart of stone i can't resist a bunch (laughs) of cute kids going we love you uncle greg we miss you uncle greg while uncle greg like cries because he loves his tiny child relative so much i mean it's objectively very sweet yeah So Katie has some one-on-one chats, and so does Greg. Uh, She talks to Greg's brother, I think, Joe. This is when he says, you know, you might be the first person that Greg has talked to about that. And, like, I understand even not talking to your sibling. I think it can be very hard when you're both feeling that grief so intimately. But if Greg hasn't had a confidant about this that that is really rough. Like, yeah, I I certainly have talked less to my brothers about our mom's passing than I have talked to some of my closest friends than I've talked to therapists, many therapists over the years, <laughs> including therapists when I was really young and it had just happened. And like, it's a lot of processing and it's a yeah. lot of work. And 
something that's so hard on this show is that I kept thinking, watching, I'm like, so much of this conflict could be avoided by more sleep and good therapists. Yeah, airlift and a therapist for for Greg um, and Katie, frankly. Um, And us after this episode, (laughs) we all need more therapy. Like, I'm already, like, been in therapy for more than a decade, but, like, I need to re-up. Yeah. After this episode. Um, But also Joe asks if she sees herself marrying Greg, and she says, I really can. Not, I can get there. Like, she's basically saying, I'm there with Greg. Like, if he proposed, I would say yes. And that's mostly notable because it's not how she talks to the other men's families. Greg, meanwhile, is telling his friend Dave, like, I'm in love with this girl. I've never felt this way about a, about a girl before. Um, I'm sure it's going to be the two of us. Uh, we've already worked out logistics. She's going to move to New York. He's, like, laughing with joy. Um, so they're both kind of conveying to the family and friends that they feel, like, in very different ways that they feel really sure about the other person. Like, Katie talks to Greg's mom and says, you know... I hate to use the term front runner, but Greg is someone I have a strong connection with. I don't care if I'm allowed to say this, Greg will be here next week. Like, these are extremely strong things to say to a contestant's mom at hometowns. And something that I actually thought Katie did really well is sort of level with the families when they raise these concerns. Like, I think that there are certain lines that leads tend to deploy and they tend to sort of talk around the structure of the show um, with families. And that's understandable. There's not really like a good way to answer someone's concern that, you know, their kid, as, as Greg's mom says, like, I'm, I'm worried that my son's heart is going to get hurt. Um, And Katie just sort of meets her where she is and says like, yeah, that's extremely understandable. Everyone gets hurt in this process except for one man. But I want you to know that Greg's going to be here next week. He's here to stay. And I I really, like, commended her for that response. I thought it mm-hmm. was, like, honest. And I think that Greg's mom received it that way. You yeah. know, she was, like, at one point, I think, says to the camera, I really like how sincere Katie is. And yeah. I felt like none of that came off as, as scripted to me. It goes over so well with his mom, in fact, that she's like, the person who gets Greg is one lucky gal, but he's equally very, very, very fortunate. Like, she has completely knocked this hometown out of the park. Like, his mom is like, I've never seen you this happy. Um, you know, in years, I haven't seen you this happy in a long time. Um, and he does tell her, that the one thing that is holding him back is that he doesn't want to propose without hearing from her that she's in love or falling in love. And I, I think, think that's, that that's normal. Fair. I think that's normal. I think that's fair. I think likely a lot of these sort of more honest conversations probably happen during fantasy suites when um, the couples have a chance to be off camera. And so I think that was also part of why it felt so frustrating to see their relationship devolve so quickly. I was like, Greg, you you could have gotten some of these answers in a few days, potentially. Like they're, you know, I think that having all of this happen on camera is part of what made it feel But there is this huge pressure to do a lot of it on camera, especially on his Oh, yeah. They wanted him to say, I'm in love with Katie, I'm sure. Like they always want them to keep progressing and making – and by they, I mean production, to keep making stronger and stronger declarations. 
Right. There is this odd expectation and I that is built into the show that like there are boundaries that leads are supposed to be adhering to. And the contestants are supposed to empty themselves out. Yeah. No boundaries. In, without any boundaries. And I think that that can be a real recipe for hurt feelings and like emotional disaster kind of yeah i think that what we end up seeing is katie and greg both like fully committing to their show assigned role in a way that is just like catastrophic so (sighs) greg sits down with katie after this date and i think we have a clip of what he says to her i haven't been this happy in the longest time i you just like kind of i didn't know what i was gonna come you're expecting like i think you're like beautiful and I think you're great I didn't know I was gonna fall in love with you I didn't know that and I am in love with you and you just like make me the happiest I've ever been I see it with you this is just real this is real to me so like I know that there are like rumors going around that he like went to acting school and like this is all fake. I I'm struggle. sorry. I like that's... I've watched a lot of a lot of romantic movies. Not many performances are actually this convincing. Like I struggle with that. And like he's he's not even a successful actor. And also, can actors not have feelings? Like I'm just that line of critique kind of makes me lose my mind a little bit. I I agree. I don't really think that's a fair line of critique. I I mean, I have a lot of good friends who are also actors and they have... But they're not in love, right? They've never been able to (laughs) pursue Yeah, they've never... All of their relationships are, in fact, fake. Um, And I understand that there's... There are things we don't see and there are, like, intentions that are hard to read into. But I think that it's unfair to assume that there is like an element like such a an overt element of performance right. on on anyone's side on this show like i think that they're in a locked box experiment and i think it's actually designed to draw out really extreme emotional responses that are based in a truth of how the person is feeling yeah. and like that is literally what the show is designed to do what has i think happened and i think that this ends up coloring a lot of our take is that we do think he's being sincere in his feelings what happens is that he's, like, fully jumped over the cliff. Like, he's like, I've told you everything that I need I'm to done. tell you. I've I'm done. given you everything. He's completed his part of the journey, right? And it's too early. Like, there's so much time left. They're not even at Fantasy Suites. And, like, now he has nothing to do but wait for her to respond to that declaration for, like, a very long time, considering how, like, fragile he is and how much he has just opened up. And... And Katie responds to this in a way that immediately, the very first time I watched this, made me lose it at the TV because this was such a vulnerable sounding speech. She seems to be receiving it as sincere as as do I, but she doesn't say anything. She doesn't kiss him. She doesn't react in a way that there's like a change on her face that seems to acknowledge that he has just made the declaration of being in love with her for the first time. She's just sort of like smiling and wiping tears from his cheeks and just waiting for more. And he's like, there's no more. On the other hand, there were little moments when I was watching this that to me indicated 
and a very sweet intimacy on Katie's part. There is a moment where she kisses his hand. Mm -hmm. There's a moment where she wipes away his tears. There's a moment where she's like looking at him with eyes that to me say like, I'm a little bit like obsessed with your face, which is a thing that I have certainly felt when I'm like dopey in love with someone. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe this is in part a, a case of two people who have very different communication styles or this is Katie being like fucking exhausted and drained and just not quite picking up in the moment what yeah Greg needed but in any case like they miss each other Greg scoops himself out yeah pours his heart onto the table yeah and I think Katie in her mind is like I'm receiving this how beautiful I'll yeah. hold your hand. And, and in I his think, mind, he's like, you've, you're, you're leaving me hanging after I have done something that feels deeply unnatural to me. I just think that she's in the rhythm of the show. And she's like, now is yeah. the part where we sit down, we debrief on the date. Like I had a wonderful time. Now's the easy part. I'm with Greg, who I've always had such a good time with. He's like, gonna we're good. like he, where he's gonna tell me his feelings. I'm gonna like try to convey with body language my feelings, and then we go home. And I think that in getting kind of like in that rote rhythm, I think there's this very strong possibility that she was so unprepared to hear a new level of declaration from him that she didn't really It didn't quite register. Right, that she was like, again, he's going to tell me he's falling in love with me. Like, it's not the moment where I'm expecting more. So finally, Greg is like, you know, I've never been this vulnerable with anybody. I don't know what else to show you or tell you. And this is where he's sort of rambling. He's not upset yet, but he's clearly saying like, it's your turn to respond in some way that isn't staring at me. And finally, Katie says, I just love looking at you. And like, again, it just seems out of context. Like this is a moment that called for for maybe her to have expressed that she heard what he said and instead she emphasized that she was looking at his face. There right. are times when I'm sure that that would be received really well. But this was And again, I, I don't I don't think that this was malicious on her part, but no. I do think it it indicates a mismatch and a misreading of each other. Um mm-hmm. and it was and 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 thus it was hard to watch. It was hard mm-hmm. to watch them miss each other in that way. It felt very, like, sad to me because we immediately see a change come over Greg's body. He, like, stiffens. And she doesn't immediately seem to notice. She says, like, look, it's really tough. I had to explain to your family, but, like, but don't worry. Like, I told them you're here next week. I told them our connection is so strong and I believe in it. And it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. You know how I feel about you, though, right? Do you feel good about us? And I think it's interesting here because I don't know that he knows how she feels about him. In fact, I think, like, that's sort of what he was asking for. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't. And, you know, she's trying to give him the bachelorette toolkit responses here. And he's he's not receiving them, I think, in the spirit that they are intended He is like, I'm not interested in whether it's hard. I'm not interested in being here next week. I'm interested in like what your actual response is to me saying, you fill a hole in my heart and I'm in love with you. And, 
you know, you're going to be here next week is actually not a very substantive, like emotionally fulfilling response to that. And I think that there were a lot of things that would have been, I think like maybe kissing him and, and sort of reacting as if there had been a significant revelation. I think saying, you know, bending her rule might've been a great idea if she saw him as a front runner and saying, I'm falling in love with you. And even if she didn't, I think there are ways that you can say like, that means the world to me that you felt comfortable sharing that. I care for you so much. I think it's tough when you're at that point to get a referral to a rule book as as your response. I, th- I think that's tough. I think that's hard to digest. Um, and so they they things really start to, this is our first real, real glimpse that things are going to devolve because Greg is still like visibly unhappy. She starts noticing, she starts saying like, what's wrong? I want to help. I don't know how you're not happy. And he starts kind of trying to do the thing that I'm familiar with in fights <laughs> that is not healthy communication, yes. which is he wants her to identify the issue. He wants her to identify what happened because he feels like he what he actually needs out of this conversation is for her to be to see him to, to know see him, him to and understand to be him attuned enough to what has happened to not need to have it handed to him on a plate like well you dismissed my feelings so that she can say i'm sorry you dismissed my feelings and this is something that can be really tricky in relationships and like it was hard for me watching this to see to see him shut down in this way and to be like i see why he wants this but like it's not healthy to expect and I that think that's from your partner something being you know, I, I spent a lot of my 20s single, not in a long-term relationship. Entering a long-term relationship in my early 30s, there was a lot of learning when it came to conflict that I had to go through. And there was a recognition that I had to, a realization that I had to go through that like, I couldn't expect my partner to read my mind, even if I felt that what I needed was obvious and that he couldn't expect that either. And that we needed to learn how how to address when we miss each other mm-hmm. um, and how to address when we unintentionally do harm to each other. And I think that, unfortunately, the structure of this show doesn't really, doesn't really leave a lot of space for a learning curve when it comes to conflict. It, like, tends to be sort of, like, one and done. Yeah. Um, and I think that just by the nature of the structure and the nature of the fact that multiple potentially very serious relationships are happening concurrently. Um, yeah. 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 Why would you go with the one where you had a big fight? Uh, <laughs> I, I would, I would question that. I mean, uh, the, as they leave, they sort of pause in the dark entryway and he says, this is just hard for me. And she says, I know I get it. And he says, I don't think you do. And she says, I do. How do you think I feel having to be so committed to you and having to meet someone else's family? And he says, you know, I just don't understand how you don't know at this point that it's you and me. It's killing me. And Katie says, it, I feel like you're losing trust in us. And he says, I'm not losing my trust. I'm losing my shit here. I've never emptied my heart out to somebody like this before. Um, Katie says, you know, so I've never sad. felt like you wanted to give up until right now. Um, and he says, I've never felt like you were holding things back for me until tonight. I like really just in this moment, I really felt for both of them because I saw the shift that he's describing. I saw the 
the the the sort of wall that she the was veneer. Kind of, yeah, and that's and, and I think that's in part like a necessity of being mm-hmm. the lead, and she's in a tough position here because she did sign a contract. She is doing a job, um, and I think it must be a very difficult balance to figure out when to prioritize sort of that more human element of those of your relationship and when to prioritize the task at hand. Um, and I don't expect anyone to perform perfectly in this situation, like on either side. But yeah, this was like a very painful exchange because I I did see it from from both ways. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think she was intentionally withholding things from him. I also don't think that he was giving up on her. Also, I would lose my shit as well in this situation. I mean, I think that I think that in general, this show is, and we've heard past contestants tell us this on this podcast. It's a very tough place to thrive uh, if you have any sort of like anxiety disorder, um, yeah. or if you need a lot of affirmation. Like I know <laughs> yeah. for that reason that I would really struggle, and we've obviously said that before. 100%. But I think that's. That's also part of what we're seeing here. I was in an exclusive relationship with my husband, like, immediately, and I still needed constant verbal <laughs> affirmation. I was like, is this a prank? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I, like, it's it's hard to date someone that insecure, but um, we've we've worked on it. But your Greg has somehow made it work. <laughs> he's, he's done his best. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I also just keep going back to Tasha's advice, which now seems more portentous than ever, to, like, not wait until the end to tell a guy how she felt because sometimes a guy needs that to blossom and to commit more. And when you have a guy who has committed all the way and you're still holding that back, um, that's going to that's gonna be mentally difficult for him. And so you're putting that relationship in a way at, at risk. risk. And, like, I, I'm not... I, I think that partly what I'm doing now is, like, looking at it from Katie's perspective. Like, what could she have done um, to handle this situation differently? That doesn't mean that Greg handled it well um, by any means. Um, I think that more just because he's the person who's already in an emotional spiral. I'm like, how can you react to this emotional spiral better? But um, we see Greg start to handle this very badly early on in this conversation, and it only gets worse. It gets worse. (laughs) um, I think we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back in a moment. Can you keep up? I like Springtime vibes are in the air, and when you bring in some of the beautiful flowers that are blooming, you probably want to smell the flowers, not the litter box. But thanks to Pretty Litter, you'll be able to smell those spring flowers all you want. Nothing beats Pretty Litter's ability to instantly trap odors. It's ultra-absorbent, it's lightweight, low dust, and one six-pound bag works for up to a month. Pretty Litter's crystals change color to indicate early signs of potential illnesses in your cat. And if all of that wasn't enough, Pretty Litter ships free right to your door. You'll never run out. You won't have huge kitty litter bags taking up space. And even better, you won't have to lug those huge tubs from the store to your car or the subway and into your house. Our producer, Talon, has been using Pretty Litter and he just raves about how great it is, how easy it is to scoop how much better it smells. I mean, the health monitor aspect gives so much peace of mind. He's a big fan, and we know that you will be too. Go to prettylitter.com slash LTSI to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. That's prettylitter.com slash LTSI to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. 
prettylitter.com slash LTSI. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One in five Americans have learn a new language on their bucket list, as they should, because it's very important. If that's you, then make this year the year you finally check it off your list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Wow, that is really fast. Their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning link. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. I personally used Babbel before I headed off to Paris for three weeks, and it was so helpful just kind of giving me back the basic understanding of French, allowing me to interact with people in restaurants, in shops, and, you know, just not make a total fool of myself when in a foreign country. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash LTSI. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash LTSI. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash LTSI. Rules and restrictions may apply. And we're back. And before we kind of get into the the round two of this, like, very depressing um, conflict, we do see a moment between Greg and Blake. They're both kind of chilling. Maybe this is during the Justin date, which, again, we do believe was filmed after Greg's. Yeah. And what I was interested in in this dynamic is that in the past, we've seen when it gets to this point, like the final couple men, especially two that really seem to be kind of like the front runners, often they're like in very aggressive conflict with each other. And I was pleasantly surprised um, that Greg and Blake were not that way. You know, Greg, they're both sort of expressing like they don't know where Katie's head's at. They don't, this must be very difficult for her. And Greg is like, honestly, man, like you're handling this so much better than me. Like this is really tearing me apart. Like you try to get some sliver of what she's thinking and it's hard. And Blake is sort of like, yeah, I mean, I just kind of try to blank it out, uh, pump some iron and that's how I deal with it. (laughs) And I think that in this moment, we sort of see that Blake's coping mechanisms are better suited for this setting than Greg's are. You know, like Blake can compartmentalize in a way that is healthy. And his overconfidence, I've said this before, but his overconfidence, which came off as like really off-putting on Claire and Tasha's season, is serving him really well in this relationship because it's reciprocated. And because of that overconfidence or just like intense confidence, he's able to just really stay focused on that. And he doesn't need the affirmation that someone like Greg does. Also, like, and, like, I think this is why, you know, people often say that you should come into a relationship as a completely whole person who doesn't need a partner. Um, That Greg has seems to have a lot of his psychological stability riding on this relationship. He's been really sad. Katie has made him much happier. He's very invested in this relationship. He's never felt like this about a girl before. And 
what you see with Blake is that he is like, I definitely like Katie the most of any girl I've met, I think. But like, I was pretty ready to marry someone else six months ago. And then someone <laughs> else like three weeks after that. So like, on some level, Blake knows I'll be fine. that he'll be fine. And I think that that there's a there's a sort of toxic romance that I am totally susceptible to that is just like, I can't live without you. But it can really draw out a desperation and and uh, l- like lack of emotional control that can be really harmful to your partner. Um, whereas Blake is able to just totally cope on his own. Um, and so Blake's like, I'm going to get a workout in. And Greg is like, it's time for me to go to Katie and tell her that she definitely doesn't feel the same way as me or she would have handled everything differently. And so Greg takes the walk of doom down the hallway of doom to Katie's sweet door and knocks. They both seem really like shaky and miserable to see each other. The energy that we feel immediately from both of them bad. is just like so bad. It's like, like this Katie is not going to end is, well energy. Yeah. Like Greg has seemed to have like talked himself into a spiral and come to a conclusion that he has not yet shared with Katie. And Katie is just like full of trepidation and dread and is very much like, I really wish you weren't at my door right now. And you're just, you can tell from moment one, like this is going to go fucking terribly. These people are, neither of them are in the right headspace to be having a productive conversation. Yeah. And, you know, Greg has clearly been stewing on this for a while and prepared. More than 24 hours. I think that Katie has probably been, you know, busy with Justin and and hoping that Greg is is finding a calm place. You know, she's like, maybe the next time I see him at Fantasy Suites, there will be some something we have to work out. But like, he's gonna like find his center again. Right. And Greg, meanwhile, has been like, I need to talk to Katie. And if she doesn't say the things that I need to hear then, like, I'm going to have to leave and it's going to be fucking horrible. So he is, like, anxiety breathing, like, shaky breath. Like, it's like I can hear his whole body shaking. Katie also immediately seems super shaky because she can tell this isn't going to go well. And, of course, like, she's like, you seem nervous. And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, Greg, (laughs) what are you doing? Like, Greg, no, you're starting off right with that. With those confrontational questions. And then she says, you know, you don't seem comfortable or happy. And he says, you seem fine. And I'm like, she doesn't seem fine. Yeah, so, like, this, who's this not is reading where, who well now? <laughs> this is where Greg, I think, lost both of us. Is we're like, no, she seems like she's going to vomit. She does. No one seems fine in this yeah, situation. No one's like, fine. And I've definitely done this. It's not a healthy or kind tactic to be like, you should be hurting more over the conflict between us. And I've noticed that you're hurting less than me and it's not a good look for you. You know what I mean? Like pointing it out in this very passive aggressive way. (laughs) I've definitely done this. It's super immature. It's mean. uh, And I I don't recommend it. So Greg tells Katie at this point, I told my family that you were the one. When I expressed to you that I loved you, I felt like I was telling it to a stranger Last night, I thought I was confessing my love to my future wife, and you didn't feel it. You just dismissed it in my eyes. I know that, like, people have had strong reactions to this opener. I feel complicated about it. I don't think he's being intentionally cruel at this point, even though I I do think it's probably very hurtful to Katie to hear. I think that he is trying to make clear that he was hurt by her and that he needs 
something that that he feels was withheld unnecessarily. Um, of course, a statement like this can be very, very hurtful. Yeah. Um, and I want to, in this conversation, be able to differentiate between behavior that is mean or cruel and behavior that expresses a pattern that might indicate abuse. Um, and I think that's something that I've had a hard time in like sort of processing the discourse around this because I think that this fight as a whole, I could imagine it being like incredibly triggering mm -hmm. to people who have been in relationships where there was a consistent pattern of emotional manipulation and emotionally abusive behavior. And I want to like upfront just like affirm anyone's right to have that reaction and response and say that I think that that's completely valid. Um, yeah. I also want to leave space for everyone, both men and women, to have to fight in ways that are imperfect and selfish and mean and be able to critique that but not have that necessarily be proof that someone is like a capital A abuser definitively. Yeah, like I can absolutely see what what happened here being part of a an abusive relationship. A pattern. A pattern. Yes. I could also see it being like one really toxic blow up and then they both go on to have, you know, healthier relationships with other people. But like to me, I don't know if if I see sufficient evidence that there is like an ongoing pattern of of cruelty and manipulation. Yeah. That because I, I think part of that lies in the sincerity. It's like is he really just like trying to like express his feelings and it hurts her or is he trying to get her exactly where he wants her? You know, it's hard for us to say, but I don't feel like right. I have enough information to say that it's right. the latter. And I and again, I think that like our personal experiences probably color the way that we mm -hmm. read it and we aren't in either of their shoes. We can't know. It's very it's impossible to suss out sincerity. When I was watching it, I believed they were both being sincere and mm -hmm. My initial read was that, like, this was a really fucking sad fight between two people who were in a lot of pain. And it was very difficult to watch unfold. Yeah. And Katie's uh, kind of general response is to apologize, like, repeatedly. Katie is saying, like, I'm sorry it came off that way. I'm sorry, like, I'm trying to remember what happened. And also to kind of refer back to the rule book, which I don't think is the move that's going to work with Greg here. It is the opposite of what he's saying he wants, but I fully understand why Katie feels like that's the thing that will make him feel better. Because yeah. what she wants to say is, I told your whole family this, but not you. I haven't told anyone here I love them. Regardless of how I'm feeling, I'm saving it for the the end and the final guy. And so, you know, she's she's saying you're not behind. Like it's not that you're behind. It's not that I'm saving it for a different person. I'm just saving it for a different time. But this again, this doesn't land for him. I think that what's really tough here is like that I do understand Greg's reaction. And so it's hard for me to yeah. process like allegations that he is gaslighting her in the way that he responds to this. Because I think that he has an accurate or 
easily justified viewpoint of the situation because what he says is like, you were not, you didn't acknowledge it. He's like, I understand there's other guys here. This isn't about the structure of the show. It's about how you didn't acknowledge what I said. You wrote over it. You, you know, you scared me. Like, and now you're saying that's what I was asking for. That upsets me. Like that, that I was asking for you to say, I love you when I was asking for simply some form of, of personal acknowledgement and affirmation. And again, I don't think that Katie was doing anything bad or Mm -mm. doing anything intentionally hurtful. But, like, I just kept seeing them. It almost felt like they were talking past each other. Like, Mm -hmm. there was this middle ground they could have reached um, had they both been able to be a little more generous. Or perhaps if they, like, had as good of an understanding of each other as they had convinced each other that they themselves that they did. Katie says, you know, I don't, I don't know, like trying to reflect back. There were a lot of emotions last night, you know, with your dad and everything. Maybe I was trying to do more listening than talking. And Greg says, well, you weren't listening because how can you sit here after that and ask me what's wrong and then tell me I was the one giving up on the, on us, which is clearly a line that really sticks in his craw. It really bothers him that she, that she made it about his lack of trust. Um, I think that there is, like, for me, a genuine seduction, too, about, like, hearing someone say, like, the formula of this show is bullshit. It has no bearing <laughs> on our real lives or on my feelings. This isn't about whether I succeed in getting a rose. This isn't about, you know, don't refer me back to the rule book. Like, I'm talking to you about a relationship that I think is real. By demanding such a step outside of the structure, he does put Katie in a shitty position. Mm -hmm. Because again, like she does have a job to do. And she also does have to take into account more than just his feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that really isn't quite acknowledged here. Though my read of what he wanted was again, not that she say, fuck this we're done, I'm done, you're it, I'm marrying you, I'm in love with you, but, like, just a more personalized answer to his very real feelings. I think that the problem is that, like, he didn't get it that night, right? So what would he have expected, what would he have accepted from her at this point? I think it's very hard, I think it's relatively easy at the time to respond by having a change come over your face and, like, a, wow, I've been waiting so long to hear that, Um, I'm so happy to kiss him. That's not probably going to cut it at this point in the conversation. So even if he doesn't think he's asking for more, he is asking for more. No, I think that's such a good point. It's like he, again, has had all this time to work himself up and talk himself in circles and articulate in his own mind exactly what he needs from her. Um, But that hasn't been communicated to her. And she's been, again, fulfilling the other pieces of her role. And so he arrived at her door almost at the point of no return. Yeah. And so everything that she is doing is going to then likely feel insufficient. I think at this point, he says that he's reached his breaking point. You know, I gave you everything. I really hope you find something. This is the breakup point. This is where Greg indicates that he's done. Does he know that already earlier in the conversation? At whatever point that he knows that, it's hard to see what he's accomplishing with anything he says other than hurting her. Like, it becomes about punishing her. It felt like me, like I was watching two people from this point on having panic attacks that manifested in opposite ways. You know, Greg's breath is, like, very choppy 
his voice is audibly shaking. And at this point, Katie is also in a state of shock and panic. She's hardly able to really form sentences. She's like, can't really process that he's breaking up with her, but in this sort of like oblique way. I keep saying this, but it was so painful to watch. I felt really, really destroyed watching this Yeah, she says, you know, are you saying that you're not wanting to stay anymore? Are you saying that you're done? And he says, that's exactly what I'm saying. And he ends up kind of saying, you know, basically, I understand there are other guys here, but like I told you that you filled the hole in my heart and you didn't even acknowledge it. It was hard to hear that you didn't understand what I needed in those moments because I was at that point thinking that you were the one, that you were my wife. And like, he clearly feels that that person would have been more receptive, would have been more human with him in that moment. And he says, you think I want to tell you this because I don't want to fucking date anymore. I love everything about you. And I really saw you as my girl. And like, maybe it's unfair for him to, again, expect that sort of implicit understanding of what he needed. A lot of relationships is about expressly communicating what you need and then taking that on board. And there really wasn't the space for that in this conversation. Um, I also felt for Katie when she says, you know, so this one time you don't get me, you're done. Like she sees this as like, okay, so I fucked up one time. I didn't give you the response you wanted. And now you're like punishing me. And I understand why she feels that way. And I think for Greg, he was like, one time we had like all of these conversations and I gave you like I I told you yeah. again and again and again I kept and also this process like, is really hard like for him I think if he's already in this place of being like I'm not getting what I need he's like when have I gotten what I needed really like you're never around you're with other guys like that's the structure of the show but he is like not in the place to to care about that right now and like yes to an extent this is what he signed up for yeah. to an extent this is, is what she signed up for it is it is and so they are stuck in this honestly, like, cruel structure that actively is destroying a potential relationship. Yeah, and I think that, like, probably what we're seeing, and, like, it took a little while for me to, like, maybe accept this, um, because it's so rare that I think I see something that that seems so genuine on this show, and, and it seems so tragic that it collapsed like this. I I think that they're, like, really incompatible in this regard. Yeah. Like, I think that we see that Greg, throughout this process, has needed a lot from Katie and is not in a place t- to give that to her in return. I think from Katie, we also see that she's had a hard time with this role and that she... She needs a lot of grace. She, she needs a lot, lot of, of generosity. I mean, when she's breaking up with Connor, she's saying things that probably wounded him very deeply, and he is being asked to put her feelings first in those moments. And at the time, I was like, I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair that Katie is putting her own feelings first in these breakups. But that's kind of how they both approach conflict, is like, it's they a both, little bit they self-centered. Both center, they both center themselves. And look, I think a lot of us probably do that. A lot of us, especially in the heat of pain and anger and frustration, we can't really see outside of ourselves. And perhaps those of us that like really can't need partners who can pull that out of us or who can balance us. Maybe this this fight leads to a breakup because this wasn't the right relationship for either of them. And it brought out things in Greg, certainly, that 
we're not healthy and yeah. we're not good. That we're not how I think anyone should aspire to act in a breakup or in a relationship. Right. And like no. something that we like went back and forth on is there's this question of boundary setting, right? Like Katie says, my boundary is I'm not going to say I love you. And is Greg pushing that? Yeah, I think he is a little bit, even though he's saying he's not, it's difficult to see what else would salvage the situation, if anything. And at the same time, when Greg says he's done, Katie doesn't want to accept that either. Like, I think that they are both really unsatisfied. They're pushing boundaries because they're not satisfied with how this conversation is going. you know what? As a viewer, I am not satisfied with how this conversation is going either. (laughs) At all. So, like, the conversation continues. Greg initially stays and continues. She's, you know, she's asking, like, really? Just this one time? I fuck up. You're gone. And he just starts expressing his feelings in a way that are, that is clearly serving nothing except for wounding her. That's saying, you know, like, you're so wrapped up in the show. Like, I was telling my family you are the fucking one. Like, who cares about all of the show stuff you care about? It's not real. Like, I wanted something real. And if he's not trying to make this relationship work, you know, if he is, that's not a good way to do it. If he's not, right. then it's just to hurt her. And, like, I'm, I am, like, I remain sympathetic to where that comes from if you're, like, in that level of emotional distress. But, like... It's clearly it very painful for Katie. And it's right or ideal. I think it is. It's mean. Yeah. I think it's it's mean. And I would never want this beha- this to be like lionized, like as the way to express your feelings. However, no. if we want men to express their feelings, <laughs> then like sometimes they're going to do it in ways that are not great. And so do women. And that's something that we fight for for women to be like messy sometimes. To say yeah. things on this show to men who have hurt them that are kind of cruel. I personally want to see a world where there is enough grace and space left for people of all gender identities to express emotions and where we also, men are socialized to express their emotions in less harmful ways. Like, And mm-hmm. I think that we're seeing maybe this like period of of growing pains where like there's a real cultural shift happening and it's going to be imperfect. And I think that another thing that I'm struggling with a little bit is that because we use this show obviously like as an avatar to talk about larger cultural things and to critique bigger patterns especially when it comes to gender. Um I think it's really I think we really desire every moment of conflict to be this this perfect representation of the like totality of our politics and we p- want people to sort themselves onto sides almost as symbols of an expression of the totality of our good or our bad politics mm-hmm. and conflict is often messier than that yeah and it's not always the best avatar for those things. I even think back to like the situation with Thomas and how Katie's fundamental justification for sending Thomas home in this really harsh way was saying, you know, I was really upset and crying about our relationship and you seemed phony. You were smiling. And so for that, I had to sort of call you to the carpet and say in front of everyone, like you're unkind, like you're manipulative. And 
I think that what we see is almost a reversal of that dynamic with Greg, that like he feels he's crying and emotional about their relationship and she's being smiling and being fake. So he he calls her to the carpet. Like he's he's lashing out in a much more lengthy and and difficult to watch and an awful way. But like I see the same like fundamental sort of like dynamic happening there in a certain way. And so I do want like I do get uncomfortable with the idea that like one thing we're like, oh, that was like feminist, clap clap. And the other thing we're like, if a man has a feeling, it should be like, I wish you nothing but the best on your journey to find love. And that's it. It just makes it hard to discuss, but I hope I hope we're doing it at least in a way that does does uh, some amount of of justice to the many complicated feelings. We really are doing our best. I mean, it's it's very difficult and I understand why the reaction is so strong because I think the culture um of letting men kind of let their emotions dictate things even if it's usually expressed more through rage or <laughs> other forms um is is toxic and like there is this uh, ongoing trend I think on I, I think that on The Bachelor this level of scene would be very unlikely I think a woman would be very unlikely to feel entitled to make this kind of scene with the lead absolutely that's like a huge issue with what's happening here is that there's a lot of yeah. like male entitlement in what Greg is doing and that's hard right. he you feels call entitled that to the he feels entitled to the breaking of the forum yeah for his benefit and he feels and entitled to like to make her deal with his feelings of disappointment and pain instead yeah. of going home and looking his wounds quietly and saying like i just can't handle this process and that's that sucks like it it really does it sucks. and and it so sucks. i don't think that we would want the result to be we get this narrative and then everyone's like oh greg he's like such a romantic, like he deserves Poor better. Poor baby. Greg, like he turns into like a fuckboy around a Bachelor hero. Nation hero. <laughs> I, but like I, I do think there can be an overcorrection. That's like instead, this man is irredeemable. Instead, we're throwing him away. Instead, like anyone who's ever done anything like this in a fight, like should basically be in jail. Like I, I struggle with that. Like I would like to address the things that are really troubling elements of the patriarchy and of abuse without being like he is abusive he that defines him based on one fight one like i i don't think that's enough i agree and like i think ultimately like we don't land on any sort of team here and i don't think sorting ourselves into teams as i've seen happening on twitter is useful at all um, I think that there are like such a variety of interesting lessons that we can kind of take from this. And I think that the fact that it evoked such intense emotions from people is really indicative of all of the complicated and sometimes really harmful dynamics that people can find themselves in in relationships and that people can perpetuate. Um, and I think that it is a great opportunity for us to kind of look at our own communication styles, look at the, the relationships that we've experienced and and reflect back on them. Um and I think that we can do that without wholeheartedly projecting um, everything onto these two people and this one situation. At a certain point, Greg does leave. Um, he yeah. he gets up and he's he walks out, and and Katie follows him, which again is a moment where you know 
he, he is has been very unkind to her. And at the same time, if he's indicating that he's leaving, she could let him leave. But she decides to go after him and continue the conversation. And she does. She finds him outside where he's sitting on a chair. She sort of hugs him and then she crouches next to him and says, I don't know what to do. Like, without you, like, I feel like this whole thing was for nothing. But like, am I wasting my time? Like, is there anything I can say that you'll believe? And Greg doesn't really respond to anything until she finally finishes talking. And then he says, all I do know now is that I deserve more than what I've been given on your side. I'm not happy here. I'm not. I'm done here. And he leaves while Katie is, you know, essentially still sitting on the ground crying. And it's really upsetting. It's a really upsetting thing to watch. It's very, very sad. Um, But ultimately, I think probably the best thing for him to do was to leave because this relationship, like, frankly, should not. If anything, this conversation should have been over a long time ago. Like, I, there's nothing productive happening in this conversation once he has decided that he's done, which happened, I think, really early. And for him to just stay so that he can say things like... Like, punish her. I deserve more than you. Like, it's not productive. And uh, I... It's just very difficult. And I think that, like, partly why she's pursuing it is because he's giving her some somewhat mixed signals. Like, I think that he doesn't entirely want to leave, but the decision to leave puts him back in control. And I think that that is extremely, like, comforting to him to be in control. And I think that there's a version of this that, you know, not in this exact situation, but, like, something that I worked through in my own therapy is when you, uh, like, as someone with an anxiety disorder, I would find myself, and specifically in the context of dating and romantic relationships, like, making decisions from a place of, purely alleviating my own anxiety. Mm-hmm. And when you make decisions from that place, those decisions can be harmful and they can harm yourself. They can harm other people. And it's not, again, like it's a sign that you probably should go to therapy because you're going to serve yourself and others better. Um, if that's that's not the way you're making decisions. And yeah. like, again, maybe that could be just me projecting my own shit onto Greg, but that was, like, an element of what I saw. Who knows? I, like, despite how long of a fight we saw, I don't think we have enough information to, like, finally diagnose Greg. And... No. And that that's as tempting as it is. And I think we need to to start wrapping up. But essentially, yeah. after Greg leaves, um, Katie gets up and says, you know, I'm done. I'm done. I want to go home. And she goes inside and shuts herself in the bathroom and cries. And... Caitlin comes in to give her some, like, bathroom, classic bathroom girlfriend talk. I just want to say that, like, there, I sort of, I loved this these final moments because there is something very real, I think, about moments of tenderness and comfort um, between women happening in and around the bathroom. Like, that felt very real to me, and I was just, like, so fucking grateful yeah. throughout the, this entire scene that um, that other dude was not hosting the season. <laughs> I will say, Katie's just like, why can't production leave me alone? Leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> um, and that's not in the cards for her. But Caitlin, Caitlin talks her through it a little bit. Katie opens the door, they hug, and Katie says, oh. you know, I'm heartbroken, and it feels like it's all for nothing. 
I feel like they're, this is a really tough thing to come back from with an engagement next week. It, I really feel for, for her here. We, I, I think it's always important to remember how much we don't see mm-hmm. um, and how much the show loves to play up like a tough ending of a relationship and perhaps sometimes at the expense of, an, of, of us seeing the depth of another relationship. So, you know, especially since like Rachel's season, I've tried to to give a lot of um, space and understanding to to what we might be missing. But I do think that narratively, it's going to be a rough finale. It's going to be a rough mm-hmm. AFR. And yeah. frankly, like I just want all of these people to get through this and like move on and be happy. Yeah. Also, truly so mean to give us a rom-com and then like end it with that. Like Jesus Christ, like, it's the worst rom-com I've ever seen. <sighs> Awful. I'm I'm not okay. And and I want to say again for like anyone listening who has experienced something that I haven't, which is like an emotionally abusive relationship. Like we've we've been like listening to people who have had this experience. Yeah. We've been taking it in and like we hear you, we see you, we validate your experiences and there are obviously viewpoints that like we and personal experiences that we don't have that other people do. And like, we acknowledge that there are always going to be gaps in our analysis, especially with something, you know, this nuanced and this difficult to process. Yeah. And I'm not saying if a guy acts like this with you, it's romantic and you should marry him. Um, I'm not saying that like there weren't red flags in this conversation for people to be aware of. Um, I'm just not, I'm not ready to say Greg was faking it and or Greg is, should be tossed in the garbage can because he is uh, doomed to a fate as a lifetime abuser. Like I, I simply don't, I don't think that there is enough, enough there to do that. Um, this is why I like F-Boy Island. Um, I would like it to be easier. I would like to be like, and then Greg said, I came here as an F-Boy and I'm choosing the money. <laughs> and then Nikki's like, I'm going to give you some therapy. But yeah, on that note, I feel like we do have to end here. Um, we're really grateful to everyone who listened through all of this. And we're grateful to everyone who has reached out and shared your feelings about this episode. And giving us the grace to to work through it imperfectly. And now it's time for love to see it, hate to see it. First off, love to see it. Honestly, like no- nothing. Our souls are are dead and drained from this episode. I have like almost never had so little fun watching an episode, really scraping the barrel, looking for love to see it. Let's just move on to hate to see it. Um, I hated the fight. I really hated it. And I think genuinely really triggering for a lot of the audience, which which upsets me. Which we absolutely really fucking hate to see. Um, Yeah. And uh, I think we got to move on to the sex positivity rating. Can you believe we have to do a sex positivity rating of this episode? Um, no, I think but we, we have do. to. We, I think we have to recognize bedside maple syrup, but at the same time, I do have to deduct points for like the very likely possibility of no fantasy suites for Katie's season. That's an indignity for our girl, frankly. So I think we're going to give this one 
a three. Perhaps our lowest rating of the season. And that's it for Love to See It with Emma and Claire. Thanks to our guest, Laura Bassett. Love to See It is produced by us, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray and Stitcher. This episode was edited by Harry Huggins while silently sobbing. Our theme music is by Tamar Haviv and our art is by Celine Chang. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. If you like the show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. And more importantly, tell all of your friends who used to listen to us as Here to Make Friends. Help us get the word out about our new name. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at clarinemmapod at gmail.com with your questions and voice memos. We might even feature you in an upcoming mailbag. You can also find us on Twitter at love to see it pod and Instagram at clarinemmapod. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at emmaladyrose. And I'm at Claire E. Fallon. We'll be back next week for Katie's hopefully less heartbreaking finale. Our girl deserves some happiness. Stitcher.